When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hey everybody, welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast and i got a good one for you today. We've got a World Cup winner as a guest on the show. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Give them a follow as well on Twitter at tvsportsblog. And thank you too for liking, subscribing and commenting. If you can do a bit more of that, that would be much appreciated. But today's guest, pretty special. Roll out the red carpet for England World Cup winner Mark Wood, the Durham and England fast bowler. Very popular figure in that England side. And he's taking on the Cricket Badger 20 questions today. And it may not surprise you to know that day at Lords comes up a little bit as we go through the interview with Woody. At the end of the podcast as well, we'll catch up with Matthew Jackson from the Sporter Group, a big supporter down the years of the Cricket Badger. Obviously, like everybody hit by the COVID-19 situation, sports tours aren't very successful when there's an international lockdown in place. There's two things that Matthew's come on to talk about. He's got a fantastic app which helps you collect your match day subs if you're a club cricket captain or a treasurer or indeed any kind of venture where subs are collected whether it be a hockey team a football team a chess club whatever the slateapp.co.uk is potentially the answer have a listen to what Matthew has to say later he's also got some uh, cricket tours planned for October stroke November out to Spain if you've been missing your club cricket if you've not been able to even get out onto that pitch at all as we get through this summer who knows whether that's going to be possible or not then you could get some sun on your back in Spain in October stroke November with the Sporter Group. We'll hear from Matthew at the end of the podcast. But first of all, he's shunted towards the back end because he's not won a World Cup, but this man has. Mark Wood, Durham and England. He takes on the Cricket Badger. 20 questions on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. It's that Badger style. Are you travelling into training? Is that what Danny said? Well, I was meant to be, but uh, it's just been called off. Ah. It's <laughs> uh, lashing down the rain, so I've just decided that... Uh, we can't get in. It's it's going to be sod's law, isn't it? We've we've had beautiful summer and it's been cracking the flags with sunshine. And as soon as cricket's mentioned, it started to rain again, isn't it? I know. Tell me about it. I know. I it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Typical yeah. English weather. <laughs> I had Keaton Jennings on the on the podcast a, a few weeks ago, and he was describing you um, in very affectionate terms as hyperactive and uh, a, a bit of a kid at heart. And I've, I've I've imagined you not enjoying lockdown particularly, kind of being uh, fenced in inside your house and what have you. Can't have been easy. 
No, I've actually really enjoyed it, to be okay. honest. Because okay. um, I've, I've just got a little lad, so yeah. to be able to like spend time with him and see him develop um, has been amazing, really. There has been times where I've been a bit bored and stuff, but he keeps us on my toes and to have a nice routine with training and stuff. I think the worst part of it has been just worried about family and stuff and things like that, and it throughout the whole thing rather than actually in my own sort of house in my own bubble, yeah. um, which I've actually enjoyed the time. Yeah, it's been the same for all of us, isn't it? It's been a worrying mm, time. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're, we're through the worst of it now. Who knows? But uh, hopefully yeah. we're getting back towards cricket. I've pressed record, by the way. Um, so we're, we're yeah. up and running. But uh, And welcome to the Cricket Budget Podcast. Um, it's good to have Thank you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I was going to introduce you if you were travelling into training. I was hoping that you were running on the back of your imaginary horse. But that, that's not a question <laughs> I can use now, is it? I saw, was it a couple of years ago, you'd, you'd stabled your horse and that was no more? Yes, so I've um, still got him locked up for now. Um, I'm sure at some point he may come back out, but the fact that I went every ground in the country um, and people kept asking me, Woody, where's your horse? I thought, look, it's just time to just put him away for a little bit. Just keep people uh, uh, their minds on the cricket rather than on my imagery. <laughs> Well, you're going to take on the Cricket Badger 20 questions today, and um, we'll start off with question number one, Mark Wood. If not a cricketer, what would you have done with your life? Well, um before or whilst I was on Durham Academy, I started a sort of sports degree and things like that. So I think if, if I had to go down a different career path, I would have probably tried to go down the EA teaching route. Uh, that was my plan anyway. I mean, I was doing a little bit of cricket coaching at the, my local club and things like that. So I would have definitely wanted to do something involved in sport. Um, I managed to come away with a foundation degree. Then I went to Australia. I could always try and top that back up to make it a full degree. But yeah, I think something involved in sport. Uh, being a, a sport, a sporty kid, that would have interested me. Well, we'll bring forward one of the questions from later, which is, what would you be doing in ten years' time? Is that is that something you see your career doing when when the playing days are finished, whenever that is, and hopefully that's not anytime soon? Is coaching and is that kind of thing something that you've got in mind on the horizon? Uh, I think so. I mean, uh, I would like to try and keep my sort of hand, or you know, have plenty of fingers in different pies and stuff like that, because I'd like to go maybe. Um, I've enjoyed my media stints. I, I did do, do a bit with, uh, I've done a little bit with Sky, but mainly with BBC TMS. I really enjoyed that, um, commentating on the cricket. But I'm not sure I'm a bit of a bad omen because we got bowled out for 60 the day I was there at Henley and we took about one wicket when I was at uh, Old Trafford the full day. So I'm not sure that they'll be inviting me back. But I think in 10 years' time, I'll be indefinitely either on crutches or on a sort of scooter or something like that. My ankle will well and truly have given way by then. Um, and my son will be a little bit older, so we'll be in the back garden, like how I started with my cricket. Um, he will not be doing the bowling, I will be. It hurts far too much to allow him to do that, so I'll get him uh, ready for that short ball early, a bit like Ricky Ponton, so um, I'll make sure that he's ready to go. And my dad, who's nearly uh, 60, he keeps telling us that he's just coming into his prime, so if I'm only 40, then surely I must be in my peak year still then. <laughs> Loads to look forward to then. I was going to ask you about exactly. your body. The um, Obviously, your career, you've hit the heady heights. We'll get to those in, a, in just a second. But been dogged by injury all the way through, hasn't it? Just It's kind of been two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, two steps forward. You know, it's, Every time you've come in, you've burst in, taken a load of wickets, and then you've been dogged by injury again. It must have been really frustrating. Yeah, it is. And there's been times I've played where I shouldn't have played with injury and things like that, um, which have cost me either my place or... You know, the, it's cost the team a bowler or um, a performance that wasn't good enough for England. So um, there's been plenty of learning curves and plenty of um, hard times. But um, I'd like to think that it's made me more resilient. Um, and, and going into the future, I've learned 
how to cope with the injury side mentally better um, as well. So, look, basketball is always going to get injured. Part and parcel of what we do, but um, I've had more than most. But I think I just as long as I can accept it, and I know deep down I'm always giving a hundred percent when I when I'm on the field and off the field. You know, I'm, I'm, I try and do the right things, uh, eat well, drink well, and um, train hard and get my body in a good position. So as long as I continue that, then I'm hoping one day I'll get that break where for you know two or three years um, I might get the odd niggle, but it's not a big serious injury, and I can um, I can put in some training performances for England. I saw your comment, I think, last year when Joffrey Archer was coming into the side and Joffrey Archer obviously just runs in, he lollops in, doesn't he, really, and then bowls at mm. 92 miles an hour. Whereas you, mm. you're, you're an effort bowler, aren't you? And the contrast is, is, is quite is quite marked, isn't it? You you must wish you had Joffrey's limbs. Yeah, um, I mean, it's one of them where you've got, like, action envy. Like, you look at Joffrey and you just think, wow, that looks amazing and effortless. I mean, he's actually trying, like... But it, look, it just looks so nice on the eye and so easy. Yeah, mine looks like, you know, there's arms and legs going everywhere. There's, you know, uh, you can actually see the fact that half the time I hit the floor, I'm trying that hard. After I fall, I, I collapse and things. But, yeah, incredibly good to watch, but incredibly frustrating as well to see Joffre fall so fast and make it look so good and so easy. I mean, we talked about your injuries. I mean, you've, you've played 15 test matches. You've played 51 ODIs and eight T20 internationals. And that's not bad. As a kid, you'd have taken that already, wouldn't you? I'd have took one. I'd have took one. I never thought I'd be good enough to ever play for England. Growing up at Ashton, I was always more of a batsman as a kid who bowled a little bit. Then about 16, 17, I developed the art of pace. Um, managed to get on the Durham Academy. Um, and even then, it was, you know, I didn't really believe that I would go on to play for Durham. Then as you go through the steps, you go into the second team, you think, oh, I'm, I'm good enough to survive here. Then you push to the first team and I thought, you know, I'm good enough to survive here. Then you get on the Alliance and these are all people who you look up to and you think, wow, these are you know fantastic players. But then I held me on there and I did well. And, and after one, two hours, the standout bowler amongst these guys, I was like, wow, I can do it. And then it's the same when you get England. You need that one performance to truly feel amongst it and like you belong. I mean, deep down you have that inner drive and that inner belief. But until you put in that performance, then uh, that's when it really sinks in. And um, to play one game, England. Um, I'm very proud of that, uh, that I've gotten more than that. But even to play one game, I was extremely proud and happy. So um, I am quite patriotic. So um, to be able to play for England was uh, a dream come true. You're talking today to somebody who is a very ordinary club cricketer, a medium pace, dibbly dobbler. Hmm. What's it like to bowl 90 plus miles an hour and make the top batsman in the world hop around? That must be You must get the, the juices flowing and it must be quite, quite tasty. Yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. Obviously, at times, like we'd mentioned just before, it does hurt. But that it, when things go well and you know everything clicks, it's um, it's a fantastic feeling to be able to sort of I don't know feel like you've got like this sort of power within you. And it's just it's it's weird because it, it I wouldn't if people look at me on uh, people often say this like you don't look like a fast bowler. I'm not big. I'm not tall. I'm not you know exactly really muscly or wide. I'm quite lean and short. So to be a little bit different, I think, um, I, I don't know, I don't know where sort of it comes from. I guess it's good timing, a bit of athleticism and a bit of willingness to, to try and bowl at 100%. So I can't give you too many tips, man, because I don't want to give the game away too much to the medium pacers. But uh, I think uh, I, was, I was once there as well. And I think in a combination of my action and be able to change momentum and, and keep it simple and get everything going in a straight line as quick as I could, Help me both fast. 
I think my England chances have long gone, Willie. I think you can advise me as much as you want. I don't think it's going to change. I don't think it's going to change too much. Um, I mean, even though at my level, though, there were days where it clicked a little bit, and I felt like everything was going in the right direction, and I was a bit quicker. And and I think, yeah, I'm doing I'm doing this properly. Even at your level, you know, the highest level, do you get days like that where you think, oh, this is really clicking today? Yeah, that's that's spells. Um, I mean, West Indies is the first one I could think of where. You know, your focus just goes so into one thing. I mean, I wasn't thinking of anything apart from this is where I'm trying to bowl the ball. And it's this, the best example I can give is the West Indies doesn't have the speed gun um, up in the stadium, so they don't have it doesn't come up on the board, it doesn't um, register around the ground or anything like that. And then when when I came in at lunchtime, the, the analyst said to me, um, "You're bowling at uh, 94 mile an hour there," and it, it's so weird that you know when you're not trying to bowl fast and everything, you, you just feel in sync and in good rhythm and you're so focused on one thing rather than taking in too much stuff, externals, um, you know, the crowd, the cameras, the I guess the, what the batter's trying to do, your field place. And if you're just solely focused on, you know, the, the ball that you're trying to bowl in that moment, and it, it doesn't, you can't force it. Sometimes you can overthink it by trying to think that. Sometimes it just happens where you can just run in, you feel loose, you feel um, powerful. And that's where a sort of real rock and roll uh, part happens where it's just, um, yes, it's a great feeling. The Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. A lot of people just think about you as a bowler, but you've had your moments with the bat as well. There's been some pretty decent innings that you've played, some cracking shots as well and some big hits. So you, how much do you work on your batting? Uh, not as much as I should, really, to be honest. Um, I, I, as I mentioned as a kid, I, I was probably more of a batter than a ball ice bat number three. And then when I went on the Durham Academy, I bat four. I, I wouldn't say I, I, I've never been an amazing batter, but I could hold a bat and... You know, in the when I'm getting into the England setup, I probably don't bat as much as I could because I focus on, you know, my body, getting my body in a good place, getting in the gym, seeing the physios, making sure my bowling's ready, getting my fielding done, and then my batting sort of like the last thing that I work on. But when I've had time away and been able to work on it and stuff, I'm forced to the South African series. I did quite a lot indoors with my wife and my dad, um, feeding me on the bowling machine. I just sort of like got. I just got into good positions again and kept it simple um, and took that form away with me when I got to South Africa. So, yeah, so I probably should work on it more because I'd, I've mentioned this in an interview before, but I, I seem to go from gear one to gear five <laughs> quite quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I get to like 20 and I think like, I generally feel like I'm like Bradman. I play far too many shots, so I need to just rein it in a little bit. <laughs> Who's been the biggest influence on your cricket career? There's a, there's a few, to be honest. Um, my dad, firstly. Uh, he was an open batter for Ashington, uh, where I'm from, a local club, my uncle Neil, who played minor counties for Northumberland, and opened the batter for Ashington as well. He was a left hander who used to whack the So say they were big influences. I used to love watching my uncle, and we used to go up to the, the cricket club now, give him throwdowns, and if I give him one bad throwdown, he wouldn't be happy. So um, I learned that side of his discipline there. Um, my dad taught me pretty much everything that I know now, um, and there was a coach at Ashington called Stevie Williams. He was also in the Northumberland setup. And he had a huge influence on my career as well, all family, friends, and um, a tight knit, obviously, community and and things. So that sort of influence in my career was huge. And then probably looking up to people like Stephen Harmson, who was, again, from our hometown, 
of Ashton. He was someone that would come with all his England gear on. I remember watching the 2005 Ashes in the Critic Club lounge um, on the TV there and everybody packed in when he got the wicket of Michael Kasparovic and everybody jumping around and celebrating and going wild. So I remember that fondly. I, I used to love watching Darren Goff ball, Simon Jones, um, all people who I, I guess kind of relate to a little bit. Um, Darren Goff, um, I used to love the way he used to play with a smile on his face and he had a big heart, a big try. He was quite a short guy like myself, Simon Jones, um, powerful bowler, someone that I would look up to as well. So I had a few who I uh, really admired and, and liked to watch and um, I, I would say a combination of all those things were big influences on my career. You mentioned that Goffey playing with a smile on his face. I mean, you do that and you, you come across as a as a really good bloke. When you're watching the TV, when you're watching it in the ground, you come across really well. And do, do, you, do you get that from the, the public that you're obviously a very popular player? Do you feel that popularity? Well, I love me Barmy Army song. I think it's probably the best <laughs> one they've got. But uh, there's been a number of times I've sung along with it. Um, and especially in South Africa, the Wanderers, the last game, they were at the same end that I was bowling at. And we just be a boost and a lift and um, to go to the final leg after I'd get a wicket and hear them cheer and give them the thumbs up. That was a great feeling. You know, sometimes if you're not quite in the weight or you're struggling a little bit, they can really pull you along. So, yeah, we're a little more aware that the fans do give you a huge boost and um, I'm certainly thankful for that. The next question is, what's been your best moment in cricket? I've got a little wager with myself. I know what this answer is going to be, but you might surprise me. But what's been your best well, moment think, in cricket? I think you should, I think you should, should answer it and I'll tell you if you're right or not. Well, I, I can only imagine it's the World Cup final. Uh, that, well, that's it's got to be, hasn't it? It has to be. be, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was watching be. that video the other day. You know, the the ICC did that cracking little video of the final, all the drama, all the tension and everything. Yeah. And there's that little bit where, because you're not actually out there in the super over, and you're on the edge nah. of the pitch and they picture you just looking yeah. around nervously with your wide eyes. That must have been yeah. absolute torture not to be involved in that super over. Oh, I hate it, I hate it. Um... You can't influence it, can you, at that point? Yeah, you, when you're off the field, I mean, I told my side, bowling, and although I went off the field whilst it was obviously the first innings of the game, um, I came out and batted. I made it worse when I dived in to, to, to try and make the second run with Stokesy, and I just couldn't throw the ball, basically. So I would have been absolutely no use to anybody. I mean, I would have tried to throw it. I'm not sure how powerful it would have been or how accurate with my side um, being torn pretty badly. So I don't know, it was awful. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't enjoy. I mean, there's aspects of the final. I think how good was that when I look back. And then there's other bits of it. I think that I, I hated that game. Part of it, I really didn't enjoy it. And um, the tension, the, the nervousness. But obviously, when you get the end result, it just makes it all worthwhile and euphoric. And um, I still, as the proudest day ever. And like I said, yeah, I never thought I'd play one game for England. I'm a bit like you. I'm just a normal. A lad that grew up playing club cricket, grew up down the lane from his local club, and I'm just a normal lad that's been lucky enough to play for England. So to you know be involved with 11 people to win the World Cup, the first time the country's do it, I feel so proud of that. And it's by far the best uh, thing that's happened in my career. It's almost like you've got a different name now, isn't it? Because you're going to be introduced now for the rest of your life as World Cup winner Mark Wood or, or Mark Wood World Cup winner. It, that's never going to leave you, is it? You, you, that, nobody can ever take that away from you. I know, and that's the thing that um, first hit me really, because you know, after after the, the final, we watched videos of, of people jumping around the country and celebrating. There's some great videos of all cricket clubs and people's houses and uh, Trafalgar Square, things like that. Fantastic videos. The thing that really, when it really sunk in for me was um, I got a lovely award at Ashington, um, like a Citizens Award. I think only Bobby and Jackie Charlton had that award as well. So it was a, it was a nice um, thing to be awarded and. 
I was actually introduced as Mark Wood World Cup winner, and I think that was the first time it really hit me to think, you know, like I'm not Mark Wood Durham England cricketer, Mark Wood World Cup winner. It was great to hear those words. I saw your Sky did some cracking little uh, kind of recaps um, over the winter, and I think it rained quite a bit in one of the test matches in New Zealand. So I watched you your interview for that quite a few times, and you you talk about going out to join Ben Stokes and, and you're thinking, well, I'm not going to face a ball, so why have I got all my thigh pads and everything on and, and everything like that? But you only think about things like that looking back at matches, don't you? I mean, I, I guess everybody listening yeah. to this has probably got examples of that in their own life, but not in a World Cup final. Yeah, I think it was just panic, I guess. Um, there's nothing that in, nothing else I can really put on my mind. You're so clouded and, you know, the, people will know the same feeling when, you know, you've got a million things on your mind and you, you overthink it or you, you you're totally somewhere else and that's where I was. I wasn't thinking about, you know, I don't need all this stuff. I was thinking I'm going to have to run as fast as I can. Uh, there's one ball left. Come on, gear yourself up for that. So, um, and as well, a bit that comes before it is I'm thinking I might have to back. It's not just I'm thinking I'm just going to have to run. Yeah. For an over and a half, I'm thinking, once I've got to, you know, go out there and hit the winning runs, where am I going to hit it? What's he bowling? What's he trying to bowl? Um, if Stokes gets out, it's me and Rash, so what are we going to do? If Rash gets out, do I just not get frustrated and is he going to try and win it? So there's literally, at the most pressured times, there's a million things running through your head. And that was just one of the things I've forgotten. It's daft now and looking back, I wish I had um, took it off because it might have helped. But um, yeah, it, it all turned out all right in the end, didn't it? So. It came out in the wash, didn't it? It was, it was, it was fine in the end. I mean, t- take you back to that moment where Joss Butler whips the bales off and you're on the boundary edge. What goes through yeah. your head there? Do you, do you actually just um, think I'm a World Cup winner now, or just just your head just go empty and you? Uh, how what happens? Because I mean, we all had that watching it mm. as a player involved in that. What goes through your head at that moment? You're just in the moment, I guess. Um, I mean, I was halfway over the barrier as he as he collected the ball because you could sort of see. I mean, you, you get a perception in, in even club games when you can see that it's going to be out, and I knew it was going to be out as long as Joss uh, whipped the stumps off. So I was halfway sort of jumping over the barrier. And when he hit the stumps and, you know, his reaction, I mean, I, I think it's out, but then you, you totally know by Justin's reaction that yeah. he's got it. And, um, I mean, uh, Morgie described it best when he said that it's like running down a hill. And that's exactly what it's like. So imagine as a kid, you run down a hill, your legs are going that fast that you cannot stop. Uh, you don't want to stop. You just want to keep, like, running and, and jumping. And um, as sort of people, it's one of them where you get in, like, a... a a group huddle kind of thing because you're on top of each other, but you can't hear a thing, so it's just like ah, 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 just like muffled noise because everybody's screaming and shouting, and nobody actually says anything. It's just sort of just pure emotion. It's just brilliant. Um, I mean, Liam Plunkett's the biggest guy in my team. He's floods of tears. Stokes, he had tears in his eyes. I mean, these are the hardest, biggest, toughest lads we've got, and yeah, to see the emotion part of them was 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 special. I remember Chris Walks lifting me up. And sort of like walking me across the field. Um, I don't even think we said anything. We just were just like <laughs> looking at each other like in disbelief, like we've actually done it. Um, and I think you know it was a a long hard road to get there from 2015 when we started, plus a long hard road in the competition. You know, it wasn't just yeah. four years. It was it was pretty rough during the World Cup as well. But to be able to say we've done it in the end was you know I still can't believe we've we've done it. And it was a great deal. 
sat down in, in the autumn and thought back to Nathan Lyon dropping that ball when um, Ben Stokes was playing that amazing innings at Headingley, um, which could have changed the, the you know, ch- changed the history of that test match. But, you know, J- Jason Roy collecting that ball on the boundary edge, Joss Butler still having to catch it and take the bails off. It looks simple, but in the, in the pressurised yeah. environment of a World Cup final, knowing that everything matters, nothing yeah. simple, is it? No, and, you know, credit Josh's, Josh's mental strength and his physical strength uh, because, you know, he'd been batting, he'd been through the emotions of up and down all day. Um, he had tired from weight keeping, then he batted for a long time. And you might think, well, he should be fit, but actually it comes, your mental and physical strength comes out in those pressurised situations when you're a bit tired, you're a bit worn out, and, and you know, you're not sort of snatching it. He didn't snatch at the ball, did he? He sort of took it nice and clean, and almost in slow motion, you can, I mean, there's that clip in slow motion where Buckle's diving. You can almost just see it looks so similar, but he, his technique is spot on. So it's something he's practiced for a long time. It's not just like he's just forgot everything and grabbed it. And you can see how well he moves his feet, how he collects the ball and then changes hands to get it back to stumps, which people might think looks really simple. But when you turn that dial up to the highest pressure cooker you can, it's, um, it's a brilliant piece of work. Oh, we, we've all dropped simple catches, so we all know what that feels like. I drop, I drop them all. <laughs> hard, and, hard and easy to worry about that. We've talked about the special day. What's been your worst moment in cricket? What day would you not want to relive? Um, probably South Africa at home in 17 or 2018. It was um, the game before uh, Toby Wallen-Jones came in for his debut and got five wickets. I played at Trent Bridge. I played the first test at Lords, uh, where I think uh, Liam Dawson more and Ali got a lot of wickets in the second innings because it was spin and square. Uh, Rudy got a great hundred if I remember at Lords and we played the second game at Trent Bridge and I just shouldn't have played. I don't know why I said I would. I had a bruised heel pretty bad. I couldn't put any weight on it. I did a warm-up and I bowled three or four balls and I sort of like the physio just sort of said me, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll help you get through it. And I should have just said then, no, it's not right. But I sort of played and it was just, it was a game where I was waking up every morning in the hotel room thinking, I don't want to go. I don't want to go at the game. I'm not doing myself justice. I'm letting the team down. Um, I always would give 100% and try my best, even with a bruised heel. But it just my performance was just rubbish. It affected my batting, and it affected my fielding, it affected my mood. And I just really didn't enjoy that game. Who was your cricket hero when you were young? Who was the poster on the Markwood wall? Uh, well, p- probably the guys who mentioned. Um, Harmy was obviously um, the guy who I would look up to because, he, again, he was from my hometown. And he was an England player, you know, and we didn't, from a sort of real working class town and stuff, um, to have someone who you can look up to from that town and think, wow, I'd love to be like that. Um, Does that clear the way for you? Do you, do you see that Steve Harmison has been there and he's gone all the way through and he's achieved incredible success? Does that, that path then open up for you and make it look easier that you can achieve that? I don't think so. I know what you're saying, but I don't think so. I think I would never have believed, like I said, yeah, I would never have believed that I would just, you know, play for England or be ever good enough to do that. Um, I just think it was just sort of like, wow, he, he is good enough to do that and look up to him and think, how special is he? Like I mentioned, my, my uncle was a pretty big hero of mine growing up. Well, you imagine like a 10, 11 year old and he used to walk the cricket club and, you know, he, he was playing first team cricket and that was something that I wanted to do, you know, I was only playing under 11s and stuff and yeah. Um, to have someone in your family playing and be being able to watch them and and then be pretty good and do really well. That was someone that I looked up to. Um, and and like I mentioned Down Goff um, on the TV. He was someone that I thought, wow, I'd love to be like that. I'd love to run in and try as hard as I can and play with a smiley face and 
stick my tongue out and you never, you never, you know, you never been tempted to try that. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't, not, no, I think um, like like you said before. I mean, I try and I think I play best when I have fun and I'm having a laugh and you know you put you enjoying your cricket. I think that's when I play my best. Um, so I'm pleased that you think that it comes across like that. But I've never been that good to stick my tongue out yet. <laughs> Um, if you could trade lives, Mark Wood, with any current cricketer for a day, you can live in their skin, experience what it's like to have their skills, have their life for 24 hours, who would you pick? Well, I wouldn't pick any of the Indian cricketers. Having experienced a little bit of the IPL, the pressure that them lads are under, um, like I played in for, or was with Chennai Super Kings, and MS Dhoni was the, the captain. And to be able to perform on the level that he has under the immense pressure that he does is just phenomenal um every airport he's getting mobbed every car journey the the fans are on bikes and chasing after the bus just to shout at him and see him when he walks out the bat even at training he's doing keep you up to the football and they're, they're cheering every keep you up just in a, in a warm-up i mean it must be great to be adored by fans but at the same time the pressure that that brings him ahead, ahead of the um, ipl last year the, the the ground was full to what downy net in you know, exactly before the IPL started, it's just crazy, and yeah. it's interesting you say that because a lot of play, a lot of people that have come on here have chosen a Virat Kohli or an MS Dhoni because they want to experience what that pressure is like for a day. But you don't fancy that? No, I just think that um, you know I like um, I like my home life and I like time away from cricket, um, and I just don't. Them guys just can't seem to switch off, and it must be so hard not to be to be thought of as such a superstar. Not even for a day. I don't think I would enjoy it. So, um, so who are you going to pick then? Well, I couldn't pick an Aussie for obvious reasons. So um, I'd probably pick. I'd love to pick Kane Williamson just so I could just sort of see what's like facing me and think that when I bowl him, it feels like I'm bowling 30 mile an hour. But he makes it look that easy, and he's got so much time. So I'd probably pick him to, to see what it actually does feel like and think how much time he actually does have. And his back feels like it's as wide as a barn door. So be nice to see how he he sort of feels about it. I'll pick Kane Williamson. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for a day. You can do anything you like with the game to make it better. Is there anything you'd bring in to introduce or change? Yep. Um, the boundaries have to be at least 80 metres. Um, every wicket has to be hard and fast. And um, the batter's bats have to be really thin. Yeah. <laughs> Two <Easy>. things. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing the different answers you get when you, you talk to a bowler rather than a batsman. It's uh, good. Bats, <laughs> batsmen have different ideas, strangely enough. <laughs> if you're starting your career again, you say you're 13 or 14 and, and the current Mark Wood can write back to that youngster and, and give him some mm-hmm. advice in a letter or a text or whatever, what would you tell yourself? Change your run-up sooner. Don't always you know, put your pride out there and stuff. So basically, I'm talking about injury and, and what I mentioned before about playing. You don't have to uh, think you're a hard, fast bowler. There, there is times to be vulnerable and say, or you're not ready or um, not let the team down that way. So, yeah, I'd probably say change a run-up sooner because that's made a huge difference in my career and um, speak up when things aren't right. Rock stars want to be sportsmen. Sportsmen want to be rock stars. You all seem to want to play football ahead of cricket matches. If you could have been famous doing something completely different, what would you uh, fancy you doing? Yeah, I'd love to be part of a, a rock band, I reckon, a, a drummer and a rock band. Or something. I, mean, we, I mean, not that I'm exactly a rock band, but we got to watch um, Mumford and Sons up close in South Africa. To, at the side of the stage and you could see all the people on the bank and they were singing the songs back and stuff and I just thought how amazing would that be to hear a massive crowd sing your song back and I haven't got much of a singing voice so I, I take the drummer roll get to bash things pretty hard and maybe I've got a little bit of rhythm so um, I'd, I'd choose a, a drummer in a rock band I guess 
I, I used to work for Yorkshire, um, Woody, and uh, I can remember Joe Root's first tour, pre-season trip out to Barbados, and he, I think he just bought a guitar then, but he fancies himself well, a little bit. Well, he'd be in my band. He'd be in my band. He'd be the guitarist. Yeah. So, so you've got, yeah, band, he? who's your lead singer? Well, that's the problem. I've heard a few of them on the back of the bus. I sit at the back of the bus, so you get a pretty good idea of who's uh, listening to what and who's singing. We haven't got many good singers, if I'm honest. So I probably, if I had, if I had to be pushed, I'd probably pick one with Sarah. Actually, Mark Saxby. He's got a good range of music. Um, loves his Caribbean music and his rock, and he, he has some modern stuff in there as well. So just purely on the fact that he's got a wide range of music, so I think that he could probably grasp most. Genres, I'll go with Mark Saxby. I'll tell you what, there's a, there's a charity gig for the NHS or something coming up here at the end of the year, and the, 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 new, the new band. <laughs> I better start practicing now then. <laughs> if you could already there. <laughs> if you could meet anybody, living or dead, have a chat with them for a bit, who would you like to meet? I probably want to choose someone from history. I mean, I'm big into like my historical battles and things. I'd love to, to meet uh, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte or someone like, uh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, other things I'd love. I mean, I'm, I love the Vikings and things like that. So, uh, uh, Vikings from the past, see, see what really went on. You know, go to the Battle of Waterloo or go into the, the Wild West of uh, America and see how the um, Native Americans lived then. And, you know, Zulu's my favourite movie, so I'd love to go to that historic battle, meet people from there. So, yeah, General Custer, I mean, that would be awesome to hear his turn of events of how things happened um, at the Battle of Little Bighorn. So, yeah, someone like that. They're going to make Woody the movies. Steven Spielberg's on the phone. He's saying, right, who's going to play you in this movie? Which famous actor do you reckon is going to take the title role? Well, I'd love it to be someone like Brad Pitt or something, you know, trying looks for looks. But I'm not quite sure that would be. So it would be probably someone more like a Jimmy Neal, wouldn't it? So presently, my best friend is Spitting Double of um, Ant from Ant and Deck. So if he was to star in it or have a, a little role, I guess that would make me Deck. So... Um, I guess with the jolly thing going on as well, it's got to be got to be deck in it. <laughs> What's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? Are we going to go back to that day at Lords again, or has there been anything since? No, that that would be right up there. I mean, close to being sick, um, playing sport. That's that's the worst I have felt. Um, so close to being sick, and probably the the birth of my son. Um, I'll tell you, I was really nervous about. Obviously, people say it's the best moment in life, and it, it honestly is, but um, there were some nervous times as well. I worked there for a long time and, and, you know, just wanting everything to go right and be okay. So, yeah, probably them too. What's the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die. What's number one? I don't know. I haven't got anything out there specific I would, I'd love to do. I mean, I'd love to be part of another sort of World Cup experience, whether that's playing or attending. Like, I'd love to go to maybe a, a rugby World Cup final or you know, a football final or something like that, um, experience something. I'd love to go somewhere exotic with my family for a family holiday and that would have been and done something like that. But again, it's not very exciting, that is it? It's not like jumping out of a plane or something like that, but that doesn't really interest us or swimming with sharks. I'm interested in sharks, but you couldn't get me out in the boat and my sea sickness would be gone by the time I even got there, so it wouldn't be much of an experience. That that watching a World Cup final from the, the, from the stands rather than actually being involved in it, it would be a different dynamic. It would be probably far less... Well, I was going to say far less stressful. I was stressed enough in your World Cup final, but it'd be a different yeah. different experience, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Um, I think, you know, when the pressure's off you, I think it'll be at times harder to watch and you'd think, oh, why, why are you doing this or doing that? But then it'll be much easier to watch because then you're not so caught up in it or involved. So I suppose it would work both ways. When I asked this next question of Keaton Jennings, he, he, he dumbed himself down a little bit and he said he'd be interested to know what you would uh, answer, how you would answer this question. Um, on a scale of one to ten, ten is the Fonz, the coolest man in the world. 
Where are you on that spectrum? How cool are you, Mark Wood? Well, I'll probably think I'm at 11. <laughs> if you would ask my wife, I'll keep them there, probably say two or three. So it um, depends who you ask, I guess. But if you want to plot in the middle, I'd still be happy with that. <laughs> he, he was telling me um, on that podcast how when he was rooming with you on a tour, uh, I think it was last winter, the... Um, he was in the shower and you basically put all of the, the bed stuff up against the door and locked him in the bathroom. And you, you're a practical joker. Is, is there a practical joke you could tell us about that maybe you, your best piece of work? Um, no, I wouldn't say that it's particularly that special. Like, there's none, none in particular. I just do bath stuff like that. To, you know, I mean, the one that Keaton's done about that um, in the hotel room in Australia. You just you just see a little opportunity. You've got to go for it, haven't you? So <laughs> I piled all these bags and all these pillows out, and um, he he found it funny at first, and then he was like, "Right, come on, get them down." But I, I he had to work it out himself, doesn't he? It's part of problem solving. He's got to open the bank for England. He's got to solve these problems himself. So he eventually found his way out. I think he smashed down half the half his kit bag, but uh, he got out in the end. So was that three, right. Was that three days later, or was that quite fairly quick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had a beard and uh, he was looking real gaunt. He had nothing to eat. Yeah, got out. He's all right. It's all right. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you take it? Well, again, like I mentioned before, I'd, I'd love to go back in time um, and see how, you know, a historical general or a battle played out. You see, David Gower answered he wanted to go back into one of the world wars. And I, I thought, yeah, you need to kind of make sure you get it in writing that nobody's allowed to touch you or kill you. Cause yeah, I think I think you'd, you'd want to watch from a... a, a standpoint you wouldn't want to be yeah. mixed up in the battle but you know I'd love to see you know aspects of, of how things played out or, or tactics uh, um, it'd be flying the wall in say general's room and uh, working on battle plans and things like that um, yeah I think something like that would I'd, I'd love to I'm really interested in stuff and I think it would be interesting for me to, to be part of it without the battle bit yeah, yeah, yeah. without the head in the face from a safe distance yeah. You've travelled the world, followed the sun playing cricket. If you could live anywhere in the world, have a second home anywhere, where would you fancy having it? Uh, live in Northumberland. I don't think there's a better place to live in the country than here. I'm a bit biased, obviously. but um, It is a beautiful part I of the love, world, isn't it? it is a I love the beaches and the, the sort of castles and the history and the sort of countryside. You can be, you know, 20 minutes into Newcastle or you can be 20 minutes up in the, sort of the rural countryside. So I love living here, but if I had to live somewhere apart from here, I mean, I, I played and lived for three seasons on the Gold Coast in Australia. Um, and that was a fantastic way of life. Um, people were very active. And the Aussies weren't as, um, or weren't as they are in the cricket field um, in every day-to-day life, which I was a bit surprised at. But, yeah, I, I loved it. my time there as well. Um, if I had to take my family there and show them what it was like, I, I would love to be able to do that. I had the greatest time there. I met some real close friends, people I'm still in contact with now, and uh, people that came over for my wedding. So, you know, I met some hopefully some lifelong friends out there and love to go back and I mean I'll say probably the best place I've toured um, with England uh, we went to a place called Raglan in New Zealand again very sort of beachy in the New Zealand sort of countryside or beaches or whatever you want to call it, it, it that is uh, fantastic scenery and um, that was one of the most sort of happy and chilled out places away from the cricket you could be so um, I really did love it there as well If you could change one thing about yourself what would you change? I'm quite a quiet, reserved person. Might be a bit more energetic and I'm a bit more outgoing within uh, the dressing room, I think. We've done the what will you be doing in 10 years' time. So we've actually got to question number 20 now, Mark. And this is one that some people uh, some people struggle with because basically it's tell me a secret. If you've been picking these questions, interviewing yourself, what would uh-huh. you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? I would have probably asked, um, could you tell us about the time that an airport night shift worker 
you're all over the United Arab Emirates and um, you got taken off after three overs in a, in a Durham warm-up match. So that's stories for another time. <laughs> you don't to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you said the question. I didn't have to give the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's cheating, but it's not really. It's actually just sticking by the letter of the law, isn't it? Yeah, just <laughs> exactly. very quickly before I let you go, and I thank, thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and have you on the podcast today. Obviously, training off today because of the weather. It's, uh, yeah. Behind closed doors, test matches and, and, and cricket games planned for the rest of the summer. Training's going to be slightly different. How are you? How are you adapting to that? Are you just raring to go and you'll take take whatever comes, or is it going to be difficult? I think it'll be a little bit weird. Um, training's been a little bit weird. It's been a bit different, but I think accepting that it is going to be different and, and just rolling with it and being very much driven for the end goal, which is to play uh, matches for England. Um, I think it's important for the whole society that sports back up and running. Um, obviously, the the wider picture is everyone is safe and that everyone's health is right, but if cricket can come back on the radar, then we've got to all make sure we're ready. And at the minute, while we're gearing up to be ready, we're getting closer and closer. I've this week been bowling at Ben Stokes, and he's been bowling at me. Um, I think he's got the better deal on both accounts there anyway, but um, at least we're getting further and further on, hopefully, to, to being able to play some cricket. It's been a pretty rubbish time, hasn't it? But if there's one good thing that's come out of it, it's uh, that I think everybody that's a cricket fan just has appreciated just how much they love it and want to see it back. And you as a player, I guess, are no different. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I think um, look, we're raring to, raring to go in terms of playing cricket. I think um, as long as everybody is safe and well, we'd be desperate to, to get back out there. It has been quite nice in a way to, to reset and recharge. Um, I probably know more than most what that like with injury, but I think for some of our major players, it'd be nice for them to sort of recharge, I guess, and re- like I said, reset, and it'll be raring to go now and, and progress um, this England team to where we want to get to, and that's uh, the number one. Woody, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast. Wish you all the uh, all the success in the world for the uh, well for the rest of the summer and for the rest of your career. And uh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure then on the Cricket Badger podcast to welcome back Matthew Jackson from the Sporter Group. Matthew, how are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Looking forward to coming out of lockdown, but yeah, surviving. Well, we were talking the other day and uh, you were telling me about an app that you've got uh, out there. It's uh, slateapp.co.uk. I've been a club captain, you've been a club captain. One of the nightmares about that, other than actually rallying your troops and getting the tactics right on the field, is collecting the subs after the game. And you've come up with a, a fairly ingenious idea to uh, get around that and make it easy. That's right, yes. It's a, it's a common story you, you mentioned there about one of the, the less attractive things of being a, a club captain or even a volunteer being the treasurer of a cricket club. So Slake is designed to make that job a lot easier. Collecting match fees via the Slate app uh, makes the, the captain's job a lot easier. It also makes the club treasurer's job a lot easier. It's basically based on on your mobile phone. It's a, a contactless way of collecting cash. Now, it's been out for a couple of years now. It's been launched very successfully, used by lots of clubs around the country. But now, the, with the uh, obviously the recent pandemic, we're all looking forward to getting back to, to playing cricket. Now, the ECB are currently working on the guidelines for when hopefully cricket starts again in late July or August. So we're all waiting to find out what the guidelines are. But one thing we do know is that cash is probably going to be a no-no for the way we pay for our match fees. Cash is, as we know, in in the economy as a a whole, has has declined a lot during the the pandemic. And it sort of hastens something that's been going on for quite a few years. So Slate gives the opportunity to efficiently and easily collect cash in in a contactless way 
in an efficient way that also gives the, 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 the treasurer and the captain less work. And it also builds team harmony. One of the, the jobs of a captain is to uh, get his team pushing in the right direction. Are you going to avoid all of those little confrontations, potential confrontations? Well, I've paid. No, I didn't pay. I've paid for him, etc., etc. You, you know exactly where you are with it. Yeah, you know, quite often people will go, oh, I haven't got any change. I'll pay for next week as well. And then next week, either the captain has forgotten or the vice captain is in charge and they're accusing them of not paying. So uh, the great thing about Slate is that it actually keeps a record of who's paid, when they've paid, and how much they've paid. So it's easy to look back and see whether someone has paid the week before or not moved before. And also the captain has got the option of actually adjusting how much each person pays so that if, if someone is unwaged, for example, and uh, doesn't want everyone to know that they're out of the job, and the, but the captain knows that he, he pays half the sub that other people do, he can adjust that on the, on the app. So it's based on, on the, uh, the captain has it on his phone. He ticks everyone who's played from the, from the club database and they get a notification on their phone that they're like £10 or £15 is due for that match. They just one click on their, on their phone and, and it's paid. The treasurer then has a desktop portal, which actually la- allow, allows him to see who's paid for what game and when. So uh, it just smooths out lots of wrinkles that might stop people thinking twice about being a club captain or a treasurer at a club. It just makes their life a lot easier. It also stops the club captain having a, a heavy pocket as he walks in the bar, thinking, oh, I'll buy a round of drinks here. By the time he gets back to the game next time, he's realised he spent the subs last week behind the bar the week before. And that and the and the, the issues with, with handling cash and finding a bank. <laughs> Less banks open now than there used to be. To find a bank, bank or a post office to cash it and put it in the account and then working out who, who's actually paid and who's not. It's also, obviously, there are other ways of collecting match fees without cash, such as card machines. But obviously, the, one of the issues with that, that is that when, the, again, the treasurer looks at the bank account, and you've just got a reference number. It doesn't exactly say who's paid the, the, by card. And they'll just get a whole load of transactions. They won't know whether someone's paid in the first team, second team, which game it is, etc. Whereas Slate gives you all that reporting, exactly who's paid for each one. The other thing about using a, 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 a card machine or, or one of the equivalents is that you still need to get quite close to a person to, to do that. You are tapping a, a, a physical card on, on the machine, whereas Slate involves less contact than, than contactless, which uh, you know you can do it from five miles away. You can do it at home when you get back from a match in the evening. You don't actually have to get anywhere near anyone to actually make the payment. And one of the biggest advantages that I can see with it is that as, a, as an organisation, your club, and this can be any club, can't it? it can be a hockey club, it can be a chess club, it can be whatever. Um, it's not just cricket. Your, your club yeah. can decide, you know, rather than have five pounds, which is a nice round figure you can up your subs to £5.73 or £5.92 you don't have to wait for it to yeah. be a round figure and you can just adjust that as it as and when you see fit yeah that, that's correct so um, you know if, if even mid-season you decide that you're not quite collecting enough match fees you can adjust it accordingly um, and you can collect any amount as you, as you mentioned now that the the application is free for the club to download the club signs up for the for the app the, the treasurer and the captain get the, the sign-in details. They send out a, an invitation to download the app to all their players to sign up for, for the club app. So you're actually signed up to your own individual club app, which is free of charge. As with, with card payments, there is a small transaction fee, which we collect in order to run the, the, the whole program. But clubs can actually can increase their, their match fees to cover that. And that just gives them more flexibility to, to collect any amount they want. They also collect money, not just for match fees, but for, for nets or club dinners, for kit, uh, and even for fines. So it has that whole flexibility on collecting any amount you want at any time. Clubs also have the option of being able to message players directly via the app as well. 
so they can give them updates on various other bits and pieces that's going on the club. But the thing, one thing it does simply is collecting fees. Uh, it does it well. I'm looking on the slateapp.co.uk website at the moment. There's a number of testimonials on there which are all that very positive. I'll read a couple out. If match fee collection is a nightmare every week, look at the Slate app. All our captains and players love it. And then another one, we introduced Slate very successfully over 12 months ago. And this has revolutionised fee collection for our volunteers and permanent staff. Plenty of uh, glowing reports on there. As I say, it doesn't necessarily have to be cricket this. You could be listening to the Cricket Badger podcast and thinking, well, I run a hockey club, I run a football club, I do X, Y, Z. I guess this can uh, really uh, help out in the admin of any kind of club, really, that just collects money. So uh, it all all seems to be very, very sensible and often the the best ideas are the simplest ones, aren't they? One of the things that the clubs find is also so they collect more. So it actually helps club finance it. The research we've done is that generally about 70% of match fees across the board are collected and there's about between 20 and 30% that don't get collected. And clubs that have got more than two teams or two teams or more are collecting somewhere in the region of £1,000 a year more in match fees, uh, somewhere even more than that. And that can make a difference to, to club finance, especially in these difficult times when club bars and, and, and matches have, have obviously not been played this summer. It's vital that teams collect exactly what's due to them so they can, because everyone's, everyone's costs have, have continued to be racking up while the, while the lockdown's been on. It makes a lot of sense to me. Slateapp.co.uk. That's S-L-A-T-E-A-P-P.co.uk. Have a look on there and download it if you think it's going to help out. I can't really see why it wouldn't do. Matthew, while I've got you on, let's just talk about your other irons in the fire. You've obviously running a, a successful sort of sports travel business. I know a lot of your stuff is in the winter months, but business can't be easy at the moment. Everybody seems to be suffering, but a travel business even more so. Yes, it obviously will hit hard over the Easter period when most teams uh, we we were look we look after were going on pre-season tour. But we've been positive about the about the future and looking towards this coming winter. With the talk of air bridges opening between certain countries, we're making plans. And one of the things we've, we've, we're putting in place is some cricket in, in Spain for this October, November. For club teams that, that maybe have missed out on as much cricket as they wanted this summer to extend their, their season. So we've got three tournaments being run in southern Spain in October and November. And the idea is to go down and play some competitive but social cricket down in southern Spain. The weather in that time, at that time of year is, is pretty good. You're talking sort of mid-20s and dry and uh, and we think it's a great opportunity for people to, to start to get out and, and also play some cricket with some mates that they might not have seen too much over the summer. Yeah, the, the social side of cricket has certainly been missing. The uh, four-star accommodation for four nights, at least five games, breakfast and lunch on cricket days, all transfers to the ground. More information on that, info at Sporta Group, that's S-P-O-R-T-A group.com. Matthew Jackson, it's been good to talk to you. Hopefully, once COVID-19 has settled down and we're all back to some kind of whatever this new normal is going to bring us, I will see you very, very soon at a cricket game. Lovely. Looking forward to it. It's that Badger style. Thank you very much indeed to Mark Ward and to Matthew Jackson for joining me on the Cricket Badger podcast. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for the support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Give them a follow, please, on Twitter, at TV Sports Blog. And thanks to you for your likes and your subscribes and your comments. Please do that. It really does help the Cricket Badger podcast. And I know there's a few of you out there that have been enjoying the recent additions. The Michael Carberry one's gone down very well indeed. And if you're new to it, let's have a bit of a scoot back through some of the, the back catalogue. Nearly 150 episodes now, so the back catalogue is quite extensive. I'll be back again very, very soon indeed with another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. I've been James, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, everybody.
Social Podcast Network.